Church, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Timothy 4 this morning. 1 Timothy 4, in verses 8 through 16. 1 Timothy 4, verses 8 through 16. As just as quick reminder, we started November with uh, moving into the spiritual disciplines. Uh, that small thing that we've been working through, this is our 11th small thing. Isn't that crazy to think about? The 11th small thing that we've worked through. Uh, for this entire year, we only have one small thing left in December, uh, but for the month of November, we're looking at uh, the spiritual disciplines. And if there is one thing that we can find throughout uh, the beauty of the spiritual disciplines is that we not only in these times uh, enrich our lives to experience the presence of Christ, but the second thing is that we are to embody the life of Christ because we have been disciplining our bodies in these spiritual disciplines. So if you found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's Word. This is 1 Timothy 4, verses 18, 8 through 16. May you hear the Word of Christ this morning. Physical exercise, you see, has a limited usefulness. But godliness is useful in every way. It carries the promise of life both now and in the future. That saying is trustworthy. It deserves to be accepted totally. This is what we are working and struggling for, you see, because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of believers. Announce and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but be an example to the believers in what you say, in your way of life, in love, in faith, and in holiness. Until I come, this is Paul, until I come, give yourself over to the reading, to the preaching, and to the teaching. And don't neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you through prophecy when the elders laid hands on you. Continually practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that your progress might be visible before all. Watch yourself and your teaching and be persistent in them, for by so doing you will save both yourself and those hearing you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for the gift of your word this morning that your church has gathered not only to sing hymns of praise to you, to exalt your name, but to also hear the word that we have gathered around. Because if it wasn't for your word, we would not be your church. It's because we have heard your word. We have pledged our faith to the son that it testifies about. And now we gather to hear your word. So, Father, open our ears. Open our eyes and our hearts that we might receive this word this very day. And do so, we would bring glory to your name. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If I could ask you one question this morning as it relates to the reading that was just given to you just a moment ago in 1 Timothy 4, 8 through, 8 through 16, was there a word that stood out? This is rhetorical. You don't have to give me the answer. But was there a word that really stood out? Maybe a couple of words that stood out as you heard 
and as you read, because one of the reasons why I ask is that I notice how when we narrow our eyes to a word or a couple of words, that it can change our vision of how we see the world. That sometimes we can get caught up in seeing all of these words on a page. We forget to look for just a single word or a couple of words to listen and to really be attentive to just a few that Christ is opening our eyes to, that is revealing our eyes to. This is what we know is this spiritual discipline of listening. Hard, isn't it? Listening is difficult, extremely difficult, especially today in the culture in which we live. And one writer, Christian writer, uh, Marilyn McIntyre, writes this dwelling, lingering, pondering, listening, praying. These all are countercultural practices in our world. They slow us into silence that has to be reclaimed. Something, oh, excuse me, sometimes with fierce intention from the noise and the haste and forward momentum of a daily life. Listening requires not only that we are silent, but also that we are attentive to what we're listening to, right? It is so difficult just to talk to somebody and listen to every word that they are saying because our focus goes here and there. What's that over there? A child running through here. And the attentiveness is gone. But truly focusing and listening, even as we don't open our mouths, we listen for something that is so vital, so important. I think all of these practices, the listening, the silence, and the attentiveness that you find in the scriptures, they're practically non-existent in the Western world, in America especially, because we're so distracted and we're so busy, advertisements and noise are all around us that we cannot be silent, that we cannot be attentive in the ways that Christ invites us to listen, to be silent, and also to be attentive. If I could plead, truly plead with you this morning, would you try to allow the Spirit to truly silent the noises in your life? Silent the noises in your life. To let Him take those worries that you brought with you, the anxieties, and listen for just one word. I've got about 2,500 words to say. But one, all I'm asking you to do is listen for one word that Christ reveals to you. He unveils and opens your eyes to. Because I think it's that single word that would give direction and vision for this day, but also the entire week, that we could love Jesus more deeply, and also we could discipline our bodies to serve Him and others as well. So let's listen this morning, church, to what Christ has for us for this very day. We're going to focus mainly on verses 11, excuse me, 12 through 18 this morning. So let's look at verse 12 first. Reminder is that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. So as you continue to see this interaction of this I, you see I pop up a few times, that is Paul. But when he talks about you, he's talking about Timothy. But I'm going to stretch that and say that he's not just writing 
only to Timothy, but to anybody who is reading the letter that he has sent. But he does tell Timothy in verse 12, but be an example to believers in word, in way of life, in this active love, in faith, and in holiness. This word that he has for example in the Greek, it means be a type, be an example, be a pattern in essence with your living before everyone that is watching. Be the pattern as people look at you. In this context, when Paul uses it, he's telling Timothy to be not just a moral, but also this spiritual pattern to others. And he's trying to encourage Timothy in this passage to be this spiritual pattern regardless of his younger age. And there's plenty of commentary about this, about how young Timothy was. We're not quite sure, but to consider this in the context of the early Roman world, he likely wasn't quite old enough to hold a job. He probably wasn't married, so it means it puts him somewhere around the age of 16 to 20, possibly a little older. But he is certainly young in the context of what they expected a leader to be in the early church. And I think one way that Paul tries to convince Timothy uh, to demonstrate this spiritual maturity is through, and you'll hear this many times today, so get ready, through the reading, the teaching, and the preaching of Scripture. In verse 13 he says this, Until I, Paul, come, give attention to reading. Some of your translations might say exhortation. That just simply means the preaching of the Scriptures and also to the teaching of the Scriptures. But look at that phrase, give attention to. That English phrase isn't strong enough, I don't think. Because the Greek, Greek word is something like give your entire self to. Or you could say, in some contexts, be addicted to. Or engage or preoccupy your time with. So to engage... It's not quite right. It's, it doesn't carry that weight of being preoccupied with something, even to the extreme of being addicted to the reading, the preaching, and the teaching of this word. So Paul is telling Timothy to give his entire self, maybe have some sort of addiction to the word, to be engaged and occupied with all that Scripture calls for him to be as a leader, to preach it, to teach it, and to read it. I'd offer to you that Paul's words aren't just for this young leader. I've already said this. But it's for us as well as the Scriptures that have been delivered generation after generation, read generation for generation, that we now have this letter that Paul had sent to Timothy, that we continue as believers, no matter, young or old, babes in the faith or mature in the faith that we are giving our entire lives to we have a slight addiction or even we become fully preoccupied with the reading of scripture with the teaching of scripture I know the statistics of the typical churchgoer I've seen them for well over a decade now I know when I say Read the scriptures and see what it says. I know the audience to which I am giving those words to. Because I'm always asked, why in the world do we read the scriptures? 
I'll deal with that question in a moment. But Paul does tell Timothy something about how we are to read the Scriptures. Paul answers that question for us a few verses later in verse 15. He says this, Continually practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that your progress, he's talking about spiritual progress, might be visible to all. And here's what he's saying to Timothy, but also to us. Because you need to look closely at the two verbs he uses. To practice and to immerse. Your translation might say something like be diligent or continually practice. King James Version, New King James Version says to meditate upon these things. Or your uh, Christian Standard Bible or the English Standard uh, Version will say practice these things continually. Each of them, I think, is getting to the sense of what Paul is communicating to Timothy. And it is this. Be continual. Be diligent. Be cultivating yourself in the practice of the reading, preaching, and teaching of Scripture. And then Paul uses this other verb that we might use in English. Call it, we'll say the English word immerse. But the original language, it's not that. The word is isti. It doesn't mean immerse yourself. It just means to be. That's it. Be. So what is he communicating to Timothy? Be in the scriptures. Immerse. Soak. Dwell within the scriptures. As you continually practice them and you diligently practice them, soak in them. Don't try to figure out, uh, you know, what does this say about the doctrine of God? There's a, ta a time and place for that. But immerse yourself in them. Soak and see what it is revealing for you to understand about what God is doing and how He calls you to be His church. So let me get to that point. I know when I say to the church, read the Scriptures because you'll find life. You'll find substance from it. You'll find uh, that it gives you wisdom for your feet to live out the Scriptures. So there are three categories that I've seen throughout the church over the years. Category A, if I were to give this poll and I would say, how many of you would love to read? Not just read the Scriptures, who love to read. Can I cast a poll and say that? Who love to read? Look around, church. I saw two hands. Maybe three. Up, oh, they're going up now more and more. Four. Now, what if I said, how many of you like reading? You enjoy it, but it's not one of your top things to do. Yep, I see about eight, maybe ten hands. Which leads me to category C. How many of you find reading a close second to a torture device, such as waterboarding? My statistics, I tell you, I know where we're at. Most of us find it as torturous. Many of us like to do it. Very few of us love it. So what does that mean? 
how do we reconcile what Paul says to Timothy and I think also to the church as well? Read, soak, continually practice the scriptures with where we're at in a culture that tends to not really enjoy reading. I understand that and I'm sympathetic to it. I truly am. But how do we reconcile this call to read the scriptures, to teach the scriptures with, I really don't enjoy this at all. Well, thankfully, we live in a technologically advanced world where we can diligently practice the reading and even the hearing of scriptures without actually having to sit down and read the scriptures, aren't we? We have an app for that. And if I could throw one app out to you, I don't do this typically when I preach, but it does matter because I'm trying to give uh, resources and technology in your hands so that you might soak in the scriptures. And there's one that was released uh, about a year ago for Apple users and one about, and it's the same app, but it was released for Android users about three to four months ago. Uh, ago. It's called Dwell, D-W-E-L-L, Dwell app. Church, I cannot stress to you enough how much I've enjoyed this app. I use it every single morning. It not only brings out readers, different types of readers. They have five to six different readers, different personalities, voices, men, women, that you can hear the scriptures through different voices, ones that you just might be a little bit more attentive to, ones that you might like a little bit more than others. And then they also provide very rich music. And it's actually composed with, uh, by somebody who definitely has the background in composing music, but he's theologically minded. And so you have this very simple balance between the rich composing of music with the rich reading of Scripture. I would submit to you to download that app this week and to truly immerse yourself in the reading and the hearing of the scriptures and to see how God does read, uh, give us the scriptures to read, to soak in them, to be enlivened by these scriptures. So as you read, you might ask the question, how are we to read? But we might ask a bigger question, why in the world are we called to read the scriptures? What's the point in all of this? Why does it matter at the end of the day if I read scripture at all? As Paul says to Timothy at the end of verse 15 and then he continues on into verse 16, we need the reading, we need the preaching, we need the teaching of the scriptures so that we might progress spiritually. And then he even adds this phrase, that we might save ourselves and others. That's a little thicker statement that we'll unpack in just a second. So let's look at that first one about progressing spiritually. We are to progress in our walk with Christ. I really don't think I have to convince you of that. That you are to deepen your relationship with Christ. And don't hear me as being looking down and casting condescending uh, tones towards you. I'm not. But one of the ways, and I would say one of the primary ways, one of the very essential ways that we do this is through the reading, teaching, the hearing, and also the preaching of Scripture. I think we see throughout the Scriptures, that especially here in Paul's words to Timothy, that we 
it's assumed that we are to progress spiritually. We are to advance in our walk with Christ. We are to move forward and even develop in this faith that we have given over to Christ. As Paul writes to another church uh, at Philippi, letter of Philippians, he says this, So convinced of this, I know that I will remain, I will continue with you, all of you, for your progress and your joy in the faith. That word progress that he writes to the Philippians is the exact same Greek word that he is speaking to Timothy. It is a spiritual progress, which assumes something very important about our faith. We cannot remain inactive. We must not be stagnant and lifeless in our Christian walk. We were meant to grow. We were meant to mature and we were meant to blossom. We weren't meant to wilt, deteriorate, and die. The faith is to grow us. And one of the very ways that we do that is through the reading of the Scriptures. And so when we grow and mature and blossom in this faith with Christ, we're walking the walk and talking the talk of our salvation. And on top of that, we get to tackle very difficult things in life because we have grown in this maturity with Christ that we are enabled and equipped for anything that steps in our way because we have been able to commune and to be able to deepen this relationship with our Lord. Now let's tackle that tougher verse that we read a minute ago. Not only the practicing and immersing yourself in Scripture, but then he says, in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who have heard and seen you. But let me give you a parable before we get there. Are you ready? A young farmer once planted a tree near his home. His uncle had gifted it to him. He received it gladly, yet he didn't realize that it was a fruit tree. After he planted it into the earth, the young farmer tended to the tree with great care. Each week he examined the leaves and the health of the bark, and he watered it as much as a mother nurses her infant child. Year after year, the tree stretched tall to the heavens. The roots became, became deeper and deeper into the soil. Meanwhile, the man's frame, it curved over and it became frail. But that didn't prevent him from tending to the tree. Every year, he watched it blossom with beautiful flowers in the spring. He enjoyed the flavors of its late summer fruit and fell into awe when it would ignite with this burnt red and these glimmer of yellow in the leaves. The summer before the man's death, this now old farmer took that short path one warm evening to his tree. And as he approached it, he paused and he asked this question to the tree. All of these years, who has helped who? Who has helped who? I think we see in this parable that the farmer, we know he didn't create the tree, did he? He just received it as a gift from his uncle. Likewise, we don't create or own our salvation. It is a gift from God our Father. Yet at the same time, the Father asks us, He invites us to nourish this faith, 
as the farmer nourished the soil of the tree so that it would grow tall, that it would mature, that it would be able to develop the fruits that it gave out every single summer. I think you see from this parable that this theme is this. Grace strengthens work, yet it is work that enriches grace. Grace strengthens work, yet work enriches grace. I think Paul makes a similar point that he, he writes to the Philippians. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Church, God works in you. But we are to work out that salvation as well. It is a both and. It's not an either or. As Paul relates this wisdom to Timothy and to the church, we don't save ourselves from anyone. We cannot save ourselves. That's not his point. What he's saying is that in the larger context of his writing to Timothy is that the word gives life. And that as you read and preach and teach the word, remember that you cannot save yourself. It is the word that saves. And as you read and teach, remember to work out your salvation in its reading, in its teaching, in its preaching of it. Why? Immerse yourselves in it. As you immerse yourselves and enrich yourselves in the salvation that he has brought about, you are to also cultivate yourselves in such a way that this salvation that God has gifted to us, he will continue that work in you. It's a both and church. God has saved, yet he calls us to enrich and cultivate that soil that he has gifted to us so that we might grow in his faith. So one last question. What's the point of all of this? Why read? Why teach? Why preach the scriptures? Why does it matter for us as the church? Because we want to know the goal, right? We want to know why is it that matters for us at the end of the day. In order to answer this question, Paul wrote to Timothy uh, another letter. What we give, uh, what we know today is Second Timothy, and he writes this. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. And here it is, that make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The church in America today doesn't merely need more spiritual knowledge. Did you hear me? Based off what I'm seeing happen across America, we also need scriptural wisdom. It's not just scriptural knowledge. We need also a scriptural wisdom. In the Bible, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Sometimes they're really close. They overlap. But there's a distinct difference. Knowledge is informational it teaches and educates the mind to know deeply. But wisdom is formational. 
not just informational, it's formational. It forms the imagination and it forms the heart so that we can move our feet towards action. So the reading of scripture for knowledge, it enlightens the mind to know God deeply. But reading the scripture for wisdom, it enlivens our hands. It enlivens our feet to demonstrate who God is. Reading for knowledge grows the mind and who God is. Reading for wisdom enlivens the feet, the hands, the body for action to demonstrate who this God is. Whereas Paul says to Timothy that we might be fully equipped by God for every good work. Your non-believing neighbor or co-worker or friend or family member doesn't really care much how, how much you know of the Bible. That's something I have to continue to wrestle with to this day. They really don't care how much of the Bible I know. Don't hear me in saying don't read your Bibles. That's been the opposite of what I've said this entire time. But what do they care about? What is it that they're looking for? I think what your non-believing neighbor, your non-believing co-worker, friend, or family member, they're doing is they're judging and measuring how much you love the Scriptures and how much you show a tangible display and demonstration that that love truly is of the Scriptures. They're watching your actions, how you say things, what you say, they don't care how much of Leviticus that you have memorized. They want to understand how this is lived out. In other words, do you walk the walk? So this week, let me push you in the way that Paul pushed Timothy to practice each day the reading, the hearing of the Scriptures. But don't just stop there. I want you to soak. Whereas Paul says, it's the be, immerse yourselves in them. And here's a prayer that I can give to you as you read the Scriptures or as you hear the Scriptures. Here's the prayer that you can offer up to Christ. Lord, show me how I might demonstrate your Scripture this day. And Christ, I dare you. He loves this. I dare you to give me an opportunity to display the Scriptures I've read for this day. He loves when you dare Him. Because you know what He does? He opens up those opportunities. He can't wait for you to plead for Him to do that. Not only give me an opportunity to demonstrate, but open up an opportunity to demonstrate what you have taught me in the reading and the hearing of the Scripture this very day. So church, I end with this. And I have to ask, what word... What single word did Christ reveal to you this day? What did you hear? What word stuck out the most? Did that word keep echoing throughout the sermon? Or a group of words? And I might ask a deeper question, why? Do you have any clue why that word continued to come up again and again and again? Maybe you didn't hear anything. Hopefully you did. So as you meditate and pray through that word this week, 
or the word that you hear in the reading of Scripture tomorrow or the hearing of Scripture tomorrow. May you meditate and pray through that word and ask Christ to show why that single word sticks out. Why this word? So that you might spiritually grow in His presence and He might discipline and disciple you in His ways. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Word. I mean, that is one of the very reasons why we gather each and every Sunday is to hear the Word that You have for us this very day. But You don't you don't just want us to hear words. You want us to be doers of the word. That we might not be entertained, but enlightened. That our hands and feet would be enlivened. In order to demonstrate the scriptures that we have learned. So Father, by the mercies of your Son... Give us opportunities. We do. We dare you to give us opportunities so that we can demonstrate the goodness of your scriptures. That we might demonstrate the awe of your scriptures. And may you give us the wisdom and the perception to be able to see those opportunities when they are there. And may you also by your spirit to give us the action and the wisdom to live in that moment to care for our neighbor, to love our neighbor, our co-worker, our friend, our family member, whoever it might be, the stranger that we meet on the street. And then after that event happens, we look back and we say, we dared you to and you showed up. And so Lord, give us those types of opportunities this week in order to demonstrate that your church continues to be molded and disciplined and discipled by your Son, by the power of your Spirit, open these opportunities this week. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen.